Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you brought all your children safely to your house. They have come from far, Lord, after work, after school, tired in the body, but Father, we know you are here. We know, Lord, you will speak to us. Oh, Father, you alone have the word, the word for the weary, the word for the burdened, the word that can strengthen us, because your words are life and spirit to those who receive it. The word says the word of God has power to work in those who believe. And I pray it even tonight as we study the word, we listen to the word, our faith will arise. The power of God, the grace of God will be released into lives, O oh Lord, to work in us. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Speak, Father, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. So we first go to the text from Second Corinthians in chapter 13 and verse 5, keeping in mind what we've been learning, studying over the weeks. Scripture says, Test yourself, examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Okay, that's one examination everyone has to take every day. The book of Job, God says he tests man every day. Test yourself, examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Don't test anybody else. Test yourself. Do you not know yourself? That Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you are disqualified. Like we've been looking at, we've been celebrating, spiritually speaking, the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. When God used, probably I believe in the last 500 years, that was the greatest event, spiritually speaking, that changed this world when one man stood up and lifted the word of God above everything else. He said, by the word of God alone, by faith alone. And Martin Luther stood up and lifted God's word above everything else. This history changed. And God is telling us here, examine yourself. Test yourself whether you are in the faith. There's a question and there is the answer. The answer is that Jesus Christ should be in you. It's not about religion, it's not about even the religion Christianity, it is not about practices, it's not about anything. The answer is that you identify that Jesus is inside us. So we continue our study and also we've been looking at the gospel according to John as in opposition to the other gospels in the slightly different way the narrative goes. The four gospels are there but in the gospel according to John you have eight miracles. Seven, before resurrection, one, after. And they are called signs. They're good students. Okay, they are not called miracles, they are called signs. And the purpose of a sign is to point to the signifier. Okay, the purpose of the sign is it points to somebody else. Every sign points to something else. The problem is people get infatuated with the sign. And they follow the sign. And they talk about the sign and forget what was the purpose of the sign. Okay, remember. So, and last Sunday, remember, we also looked at 
two pictures of judgment which is there in the Old Testament, which is there Jesus talks about and then Peter talks about. Two side by side, Peter and Jesus talks about the days of Noah and the days of Lot. And it's compared, put side by side and we are to take heed and he asks us to remember one person. Remember, Jesus never told us to remember, I mean, we are supposed to remember, but when Jesus spoke, he only said about remember one person by then by name, but he said, remember, Lot's wife. So if you looked at these two people we saw on Sunday, we have Noah escaping judgment, coming through judgment, and Lot coming through judgment, and they're both called righteous. Peter calls them both righteous. Noah is righteous. Lot is righteous. But there is a difference with their in their faith. Like I said, the thing is that Noah, you will see that he heard the voice of God and he obeyed the voice of God. Never in scripture will you hear about Lord having heard the voice of God and obeyed the voice of God. Okay, That is the key. Even Abel when he was praying, he was talking about hearing the voice of God. Okay, Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. Faith doesn't come from the word of God. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. There is the word of God. And there is the God of the word. Okay? Otherwise you can be just a religious Christian who keeps on reading scripture, keeps the basic principles of Christianity like Lot, but never hears the voice of God and many years it is on his last day. Get out. That's all he hears. And he's reluctant to leave. He doesn't want to leave. He has to be pulled out. And he's, he has no testimony in his home. Well, Noah is able to save his entire family because he's called a preacher of righteousness as opposed to Lot. His sons-in-laws laugh at him. His children have to be dragged out and his wife looks back. That is a danger of a faith which does not hear. Okay, and the Spirit of God warns us in the book of Revelation, all those who have ears, let them hear. Okay, so there is the God of the word, and there is the word of God, and faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the word of God. So every sign in the gospel according to John is to point us to Jesus Christ. But you will see, people got excited by this sign, but when those signs didn't continue, or he refused to give them a sign, the people walked away. When they were asked to more deeper commitment to Jesus, the crowds walked away. So you will see Jesus hardly ever teaches the crowds. He only teaches the disciples. That's why I said why the Wednesday meeting is different from Sunday. Sunday we have crowds. Not a large crowd, but in terms of number. Wednesday is optional. So when you choose to come through all of it, you are coming to learn. So trust God that he will speak to you. So every sign in the gospel according to John, in John is pointing to the king and to the kingdom. And we saw on Sunday the first sign was when he turned water into wine. Talking about the nature of the kingdom that is coming which will be characterized by peace and by joy in the most Terrible circumstances. Paul will say in the letter to Corinthians, how is the kingdom of God characterized? It is characterized by righteousness, peace and righteousness you cannot measure. Leave it to God. Okay, But peace and joy is something you can measure because it is irrespective of your condition. So book of Acts gives you two vivid examples of Peter fast asleep before his execution. 
I mean, he is supposed to be executed. God rescues him. How did, how was he able to sleep? Because it's the kingdom of God manifesting over there. And you see Paul and Silas celebrating, worshipping God. Okay, that's what the word of God is talking about. The kingdom of God is real. And the first pointer to that is at the wedding of Cana when the kingdom manifests in power. And Jesus is just turning water. We saw the two symbols of bread and water, the first, this thing. And then... The question we looked at, each of these eight signs, God will ask us, us to do something, one or two things. And our miracle, our receiving the miracle of God, power of God is dependent upon our obedience. Will we listen to him? And almost always what he says doesn't make sense. If it makes sense, it wouldn't be a miracle. Okay, it would be natural. Okay, everything he got, and whether you are young or old, if you hear the voice of God, you will see God will tell you to do one thing, at least one thing, and it may not make sense in your circumstances, but your miracle is only blocked by your disobedience. The question is, will we take him by his word? The first miracle, I'm just recapping for those who have come just today, or may we're in there on Sunday. He tells them, fill the empty jars, Take a cup, doesn't make sense, but they have a miracle. The second is the rich man who comes from Capernaum to Cana. He's crying out to Jesus, his son is dying, and Jesus looks at him, frustrated with the crowd, and says, how long will you wait for signs before you believe? Then he tells him one thing, go, your son is healed. It's a very difficult situation. Like now, right now, there there was a family sitting downstairs waiting for prayer. Okay, I said, I am going. <laughs> okay. So wife, my prayed, and that's a cancer patient has come. Okay. Now if I were to say, go, they will say, no, we came all the way, please lay hands and pray and all that. No, but that man scripture says, took Jesus at his word and he went. Okay. The thing is that, would you be willing to believe what he says and obey? That's why we have to Here, and in the third case, is a man who's lame, crippled for 38 years, not one or two. Tells him, get up, pick up your mat, and go. Go. Okay, why did he say that? The reason is, I told you on Sunday. Why? Because that day is a Sabbath. That's why he gives a very specific instruction. Not just get up your well, but pick up your mat and walk because he wants to prove something to us that he is the Lord of Sabbath. The principle is this. We all accept he is the God of our workplace. That's why when we go to a workplace, you ask for prayer, breakthrough. But nobody says he's the God of my rest. Don't touch my rest. Don't touch my vacation. Very particular about it. Don't touch. Today's my day off. We put our phones on silent mode, on airplane mode, or flight mode or whatever, because we are the Lord of our Sabbath. And Jesus turns around and says, no, I am the Lord of Sabbath. Okay, We have to see how God sees. And when the Pharisees are infuriated, they, he tells, my father and I at our work from the beginning and even now we are working. Okay, that's how you need to realize that's what happens in the army. In the army, your time is in the hands of your officer. Whether you work or whether you rest, they determine. They determine. And Jesus says, if I am Lord, I am not only Lord of your work, I am also the Lord of your Sabbath. 
Okay? And then in the next miracle, the feeding of 5,000, he asked them two things to do. Very simple things, but in real life, very difficult things. What you have, give it to me, and then sit down. Sit down. We'll look at that, okay? Sit down. Whatever it is, let go and sit down. Give it into him and sit down. And the fifth one we looked was Jesus walking on water. And we saw the three portions in three Gospels. Every Gospel says they were terrified. The disciples were terrified when they saw Jesus walking. They were not terrified of the storm. They were not terrified of Jesus. What were they terrified of? They thought it was a ghost. The fear of the unknown. Why don't people surrender their tomorrow into God's hands? Because they are afraid. Until we have surrendered the unknown. The only thing unknown is tomorrow. Until we have surrendered our unknown into God's hands completely, we would not know what is to walk on water. What it is to walk above our circumstances. We need to learn to give it over to God. Okay, and the next one is the blind man who was born blind and Jesus spits, puts him out in his eye, tells him to go walk in the pool of Siloam, sorry, wash in the pool of Siloam, and then you see what happens. What is the sign? The blind will see, and the seeing will be blind. Only those who obey, hear, and obey the voice of God will actually see. Those who don't hear, and those who don't obey, even though they see, they will be blinded. Okay, and the seventh one, the final one before resurrection is Lazarus. That the dead will rise at his voice. Lazarus, that's why it's so important that our faith has to be examined, that our faith has actually come from hearing, and we are not just following some wonderful principles which are there in the Bible. Our faith comes from genuinely having heard of this living God. Because we have a God who is living, who speaks Opposed to the idols who don't speak. So you haven't changed religion. You have come to the living God who actually speaks. And the living God, scripture says, will speak the sound of the trumpet. All the dead will arise. And Jesus says, the dead will hear my voice. Okay. So, are we dead? Do we hear his voice? Have you heard his voice? Okay. And the final one after resurrection is at the sea, at the lake where the disciples have gone back fishing. They failed the whole night. Scripture says, tells, teaches us, we will be fruitful only when we come to the end of ourselves and hear his voice and obey. The whole night they were working, they got nothing. But when they heard his voice and they obeyed, Scripture says they were incredibly faithful. So we are here 500 years of one monk standing up and lifting the word of God. Okay, about everything else. Always keep at the back of your mind Psalm 138 verse 2. What does it say? The second part of that verse. You should know by well by now. What does it say? I have exalted my word above all my name. Okay. A lot of people who will do a lot of things in God's name, but he says, I have exalted my word above all my name. So everything has to agree with his 
word. Okay. So remember, there is a paradigm shift in everything the believer does. That's why there has to be a test. It is no longer a normal life. Once you are born again, you it's completely different. It's like a baby who was in the womb for nine months. When he or she comes out, it is completely different. It's literally coming out of the darkness of the womb into the light. It's completely different for a believer. Absolutely everything. Therefore has to be examined that it is not part of the old life. Everything has to be examined. Does it fit with who I am now in Christ? Nothing should be left to chance. Everything has to be examined. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, Scripture says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It's absolutely new. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Even the old things have become new. Meaning the way you look at it is never again the same. You cannot go back and live in the old ways of life because we are a new creation. The only thing on earth, only thing in this creation, the old creation, the beginning God created the heavens, the earth, and then we were created. Man fell. So this is all the old creation resort for fire. In that, there is a set of people in whom is the new creation. And then Revelation 22 talks about a new earth, a new heaven, and a new city. So there is a set of people being prepared for that. That. We are not part of the old creation because all these old things will be destroyed by fire. Will be destroyed. So God says, examine, 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 examine. To the, I mean, you read the verse just before this, what Paul says is stunning. And it will tell you what happened to the disciples with Jesus for three and a half years and the 40 days. What changed them? Pentecost changed them. But what actually happened, if you look at verse 16, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. That's the old creation. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. You know, that's a stunning, because if you look at it, our perceptions is that we read the old the covenant, we read the New Testament, we read all the miracles, and we want to know Jesus in the flesh. Oh, I wish I lived during those times. I wish she was there. I wish I could walk with him. He said, I don't even want to know Jesus in the flesh anymore. This is an incredible man. This is a man who went far ahead of the other apostles. He says, I do not want to know even Jesus any longer in the flesh. Because, he says, there is a completely, a total paradigm shift that has taken place. Jesus who came, in the flesh, dwelt, overcame the flesh every day, dwelt among us, could be only in one place at a time. When he died and when he rose again, he's no longer in the flesh. It is not the same person. He's back again as the eternal God. It is not the same person. We get very romantic in the flesh when we read the Gospels and we feel very nostalgic. People go for Holy Land tour and they kiss the ground where he walked. It's all flesh. It's all flesh. Paul says, I mean, if Paul had been in India, he would say, I wouldn't go on a Holy Land tour. I don't want to know him in the flesh. I want to know him as he is really now in the spirit. Why? Because I am a new creation and he is the first who is risen from the dead. And I am part of the first fruits. 
I don't want to know him that way. I learned from his life. I learned from his example. I learned from it. But I don't want him to know him in the flesh. Okay, so get everything. 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 This was a block with the disciples. This original set of disciples. They lived with Jesus. They walked with him. They were taught by him. They experienced and participated in his power and his miracles. But their eyes were never saw his reality. Never. And even after resurrection, we know, we, we looked at a few Sundays back, I will refresh your memory. Scripture says on the road to Emmaus, after he had told them, okay, he had met them, these are two disciples going from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and Jesus comes among them. He's there walking with them, and they're discussing Scripture. He is there with them. What does Scripture say in Luke chapter 22? He said to them with fervent so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained so they did not know him. That's the truth. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you till the end. But man, I will tell you, if you are trying to know Jesus in the flesh, even if he is with you, your eyes will be restrained. You will not experience him. Because he says, you can no longer know me in the flesh. You cannot. Their eyes are restrained. They cannot recognize him. He's there right with them. They have known him for three and a half years. They have lived with him, walked with him, experienced everything, but their eyes are restrained that they cannot experience the resurrected Jesus, though he is with them. Eyes are restrained. Later they will say, in verse 32, they will say, and they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road while he opened the scriptures to us? Your hearts may burn when you hear the word of God from the mouth of God, but your eyes are still shut. Because we are still trying to know him in the flesh, not him in the spirit. That's why we need to forget we are not the old creation. We are a new creation. The new creation does not try to appropriate God in the flesh. God has to be appropriated, known in the spirit. This is what happens with Christians today. He walks with us, but we don't recognize him. When we hear the word, we'll say, my gosh, I was all fired up when I heard the word. And little later it is gone. Why? Because our eyes are restrained. Our eyes are restrained. Scripture says in verse 30 and 31, when were their eyes opened? Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, he blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sights. We know this now in detail, right? Every time this episode or similar episodes are described. The Last Supper, he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it. Wrote to him hours, he took it, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it. Paul will say in Corinthians chapter 11, what I received from the Lord, I also pass on to you on the day Jesus took it, blessed it, broke it, gave it. Feeding of the 5,000, scripture says, Jesus said, give it to me, and they gave it to him. He took it, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. Order never changes, never changes. So there is something in this. Why does the order never change? Like we looked earlier, there are only two miracles repeated in all four Gospels. One is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the other is the feeding of the 5,000. Only two miracles. So there is an order over here. What we give it to him, he 
takes it, he blesses it, he breaks it, and scripture says, when he broke it, that's when their eyes were opened. If you look at verse 35, these disciples will go back to Jerusalem. They will report to the other. Then they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. In the breaking. And that's our struggle. That's our struggle. Our issue is because we, we, we are blinded from the actual spiritual reality of Christ with us in our midst. Because we regard everything according to the flesh. According to the flesh. Without realizing the truth of Galatians 5 and verse 17. For flesh fights against the spirit and spirit against the flesh. That's why Paul says, I don't want to know Jesus anymore in the, in the flesh. It blinds your eyes. The kingdom of God is a spiritual realm because God himself is a spirit. John chapter 3 and verse 6, Jesus says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. The flesh wants to know Jesus in the flesh. It's a very romantic notion which takes you nowhere. But the spirit wants to know Jesus in the spirit. And the kingdom of God is a spiritual realm now because God himself is a spirit. And in the book of Corinthians, Paul, if I'm right, it's 1550, but don't, don't check now. Paul says flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God. So God says, you know what, if you want your eyes to be open, we want our eyes and to perceive him more and more as he really is. Put your life into his hands and sit down. Sit down. That's the most difficult part. One, to give our lives over into his hands. We do. Once in a, some churches have this altar call every Sunday and every Sunday the same people come and surrender again and again, meaning they're taking and taking it back. Giving it and give, taking it back. And uh, that's what happens. We don't give it into his hands and then sit down and wait for him to work in our lives. God says, give it over to me and sit down. And sitting down, why? what is sitting down there actually mean? What is God trying to do in our lives by that act? It's a spiritual act. God says he's trying to work something we need most, which is called patience. Now we're examining our faith. How genuine is our faith? James chapter 1 verse 3. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. The question is, how patient are we when it comes to the things of God? Because we live in a very impulsive, impatient world. And if our faith is real, our faith have, has a lot of patience. God is spirit. And we are born of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says about the Holy Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And faith, you will see faith, is also one of the fruit. Okay. So God is asking, are we, when we examine our faith, 
Does it stand the test? Is it patient? Because in the world, like I said, the world is very impatient. Very, very. There's no patience there at all. It's very impulsive. Well, God is incredibly patient. Incredible. Why do we need this quality more than ever? We have looked at this before because scripture says God is patient because he does not want anybody to perish. The primary purpose of God on earth, of leaving the church behind on earth, is that other souls may be saved. And if that is the case, then my problems don't matter. I need patience as God works salvation in the lives of others. But if I be focused on ourselves, what happens? We lose our patience. And our faith does not stand its real test. Okay. When God says sit down, it means he's working patience in us. Patience also doesn't mean that we do nothing. Because God is working. Scripture says in the same two different places, Jesus. Scripture says Jesus rose from the um, dead and is seated on the right side of the Father. And another place he says he's forever making intercession for the saints. So he is not just resting and doing nothing, but he's patiently working out salvation in the lives of all the Lord has given into his hands. In Psalm 27 and verse 14, Scripture says, "Wait on the Lord." Wait on the Lord. It says, wait, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Okay. It's not just, he's not saying, wait. God is saying, wait on whom? Wait on the Lord. Like, it's like waiting on a railway station. Now, you're not waiting on the Lord. You're forever, forever looking at every announcement. When is it coming? When is it coming? When is it coming? When is it coming? That's not waiting. Okay. Here, this is waiting on the Lord. And it says, be of good courage and it shall strengthen your heart. Even when you are waiting on the Lord, you are meditating on the faithfulness of God. Therefore, you have courage. And scripture says, he strengthens your heart. In Psalm 37 and verse 7, scripture will say, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. These are connected. If you are resting, then you are not fretting. If you're fretting, you are not resting. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret. I don't know how those 5,000 plus people just sat down quietly. He said, make them sit down. And the place will make them sit down in groups of 50. The apostles must be wondering, what are we in here for? If we know only five loaves are there, are we going to have a riot over here? What do we tell these people? But everybody is sitting down. Sitting down. Jesus said, sit, rest. Sit down. Your miracle will come. Sit down. During the time of waiting, there could be a lot of activity. Just guided and determined by God. It's not that you sit down doing nothing. Can you believe Jesus waited for 30 years before he stepped out into ministry? He was not sitting idle. He worked hard during those 30 years, but he waited. He waited for 30 years. Some of us jump before our time. Some of us don't wait. If there was anybody who came to do the greatest work on earth, it was Jesus Christ, the most important work ever in creation. If there was anybody who was prepared to do that work at any point, it was Jesus Christ. If anybody was anointed with the entire measure of the Holy Spirit, it was Jesus. But if you look at this 33 and a half years of his life, 30 years was 
spend in waiting. He was still. He was still. He didn't move. Yet he worked hard as a carpenter, as a son, as a brother. He worked hard. He waited. That's what scripture is saying. Wait. Rest. Wait in the Lord. If only we waited, we would avoid a lot of trouble in our lives. And what was the father doing during the time the son was waiting? The son is waiting, we know. He waited 30 years. So the father is doing something in us which he wants to do in all of us. Because we all came in the flesh. Jesus also came in the flesh. He was the word who came in the flesh and dwelt among us. So all of us who are in the flesh, the old man, what does he want to do in us? Peter will say, Jesus showed us something. In First Peter chapter 2, verse 12. For to this you were called. Because Jesus also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. He says, Jesus left an example. What was the example? He suffered for us. Is he talking about the cross? No. We are not asked to get on the cross. He suffered for us, leaving us an example so that we also should follow his steps. What was Jesus doing those 30 years? Hebrews 5 will tell us the secret about what the father was doing with the son. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. You only learn obedience by the things which you suffer. The things which you don't suffer, there is no obedience that is learned. Things which you suffered. And having been perfected. Perfected in what? In obedience. In obedience. That's what God is trying to, trying to get us. He's saying, be still. Commit your life into my hands. Be still. Rest. Learn to listen. Learn to obey. Learn to listen. Learn to obey. Learn to listen. Learn to obey. Until Jesus' obedience is perfected. Then God says at the age of 30, get up, go get baptized, begin your work. As soon as he baptized, receives the Holy Spirit's anointing, the infilling, he is driven into the wilderness. There's no resistance anywhere. Everything is moved by the Holy Spirit and he is obedient even unto death and death on the cross. So he's perfecting that within our lives. He says, be obedient, be obedient. He's perfecting. Though he was a son, scripture says, he learned obedience. Obedience is something which we all learn. We have to learn. Jesus came in the flesh. He learned obedience. And when he became perfected, he became the author of eternals. When was his obedience perfected? Philippians will say, he was obedient unto death and death on the cross. He become the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. That's the key. Because we hear and preach and talk about a faith which does not have obedience. But the core, center part of genuine faith when you examine is, is our faith obedient? If you look at Jesus' his entire life, people will talk about the miracle, they will talk about the sermons, they will talk about his preaching, but the core part of his life was his obedience to his father. Obedience to his father. That's what scripture is saying. Examine your faith. Test your faith. How obedient is my faith? Peter will say your faith is more precious than gold. Am I still regarding Jesus in the flesh? Where it's all emotional romantic notions. But obedience is very low. How do we come to this obedience by faith? How do we come to this obedience? 
How do we come? This is the key. How do I have a faith which is growing in obedience? Growing in obedience. Like I said, no? Please do not measure anything by sight. If you measure by sight, if you look at a man's end, okay, if you look at a man's end and you will say, okay, this is how he finished his work. If you look at his end of Paul, when he writes his final letter, Second Timothy to Timothy, he's lying in a prison in Rome. And you read the lesson, you read that letter, he says, everybody in Asia has abandoned me. All his churches have abandoned him and therefore the doctrine too. He says, only Onesiphorus searched and found me and refreshed me. And Luke is there, but he is far away. He doesn't even have a cloak to cover him. He's cold. He doesn't even have a scroll. He's writing to Timothy, who is miles and miles away. Bring me my cloak and my... He says, in my first defense, nobody stood by me. So is he successful? What do you want to tell about his own time? How others regarded the end of Timothy and his ministry. But you know, he's the most successful servant of God probably ever. Like I have said over and over, 2,000 years, almost every church, real church, has been built on the doctrine of Christ, which Christ gave through Apostle Paul. Though at his end you will see him abandoned, everybody deserted him, even the churches he established, turned his pastors, all this, all turned their back at him, and he's lying in a prison. A few weeks later, history says he's executed, but that is right. That is not true. That's why God says Paul plants Apollos water, but God gives the increase. The one who plants and waters is nothing. Don't count the increase. The increase is seen now. When Martin Luther rose up 500 years ago and nailed his 95 thesis over there, did anybody imagine what that would do? During his time, he was hunted. The German emperor said, anybody who kills... Uh, uh, Martin Luther will do a service to the nation. But one prince gave him sanctuary. Would anybody would have counted at that time this man standing up because he uplifted the word of God above everything the church was teaching would have such an Im- impact on the world to the point that we are sitting here today as saved men and women of God, children of God, because of that one man standing up and lifting the word of God. That's why I was saying do not regard anything by sight, anything in the flesh. We need to come to this obedience, growing in this obedience that comes from my faith. Because that is the perfection of Jesus Christ. The same thing is talked about Abraham in the Bible. Scripture says when Abraham believed. How do you know Abraham believed? He left the Ur of the Chaldeans. He obeyed and left without knowing where he was going. But James will say his faith was perfected when he bound Isaac on the altar. So he began his journey in the Ur of the Chaldeans when he heard the voice of God and he left. But his faith is perfected when he is obedient to the point of death. I mean, it would have been easier for God to tell him, kill yourself, than to kill your son. That is son of his old age. But scripture says he bound him to the altar and James will say, then his faith was perfected. So this is a journey. And in this journey, when we examine our faith, this is what we need to examine. How am I growing in my obedience to Christ? How am I growing? Am I more obedient this year than last year? This month, today, is November. It's begun, right? November is already here. October is gone. Ten months are gone. Ten, no, eleventh month is here. Have I grown in obedience to the word of Christ, to the spirit of God, in these areas of my life? This is what we examine. 
And how does a young man, because most of you are young, okay, how does a person grow in obedience? What is the practical teachings that you we have from scripture. That's why I said every young person, an older person too, should learn First Timothy and Second Timothy because of wonderful epistles. Not epistles, actually they are letters written by a father to a son, a spiritual father to a spiritual son, from a senior pastor to a young rookie pastor telling him this is what you need to do. And God took those letters and made them into scripture. Unlike all the other letters of Paul are written to churches, First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus are written to two individuals, Timothy and Titus. And to Timothy, he will have incredible in, in, instructions given. Instructions given. Any young man who feels the touch of God in their life, that Lord, one day I want to be in ministry, and any young girl who wants to be in ministry, or at least to be a minister's wife, read First Timothy and Second Timothy, okay? Look at what he says in 2 Timothy. We looked at him two months back in the pastor's conference. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say be strong. That's in there in the world too. That's flesh. He says be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And by now you are all experts. How are we saved? By grace, through faith. Grace is on God's side, but I have to examine my faith. The more grace I need to receive, the more stronger my faith needs to be. So be strong in the grace. Timothy has to be strong in his faith, committed in his obedience of faith. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We leave chapter verse 2 because it's connected about committing something else to others. That's part. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Which you will never hear. Most churches will never talk about hardship. Because if you talk about hardship, half the people will leave. I can talk to you about hardship because you have come on a Wednesday night through a lot of hardship. After school and college, so you will take it. But what does it tell him? Endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. The first thing. No. You join the army, the first thing you realize, all the TV ads were wrong. It was not all polish, bells and medals and marching. It was nothing like that. Day one onwards, it begins. Hardship. And when you break a rule, oh boy, in the army, you are in serious trouble. Serious trouble. I wasn't in the army, but I was a civil chaplain with the army for five years. And I know how these soldiers can get punished. It is terrible. And no appeal to the law. They are a law unto themselves. They have their court martial. They are their quarter guards. They have their colonel who will sit there in judgment. Boy, you are finished. You are finished if you break their rules. You are done. You are done. Okay? Now, he's not talking about that. He's talking about endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That's what you need to do now. When you are young, these are things which happens, which you can only do young. Because your body is easily trained when you are younger. You saw last Sunday, five small, six kids. How old are they? The oldest, I think, was Abigail. How old is Abigail, Pastor Vijay? Six years old. You saw them all singing the hymns without looking. Do you know how many hymns these little kids know by heart? I am sure none of us except Pastor Vijay knows hymns by heart. They all know. They don't know a word what it means. But they know it all by heart. 
It's a good thing because you teach them now to learn by heart and one day they will know the meaning. It's already there. It's already there. Scripture can be memorized now. Memorized now. I cannot memorize scripture anymore. I didn't learn scripture when I was young, but now I struggle. That's why after all, it's falling apart, but I cannot leave this Bible because this is my memory text. Because if I want anything, this even if I open with blind, I know where it will open. Any other Bible, it doesn't open where I want. Do you see the, the trap you're caught in when you didn't learn scripture because you are unsaved, you don't come from a believing family. But scripture says, end your hardship. You can memorize. I can remember all the nursery rhymes I learned till before the age of five. All the nursery rhymes. I can give you with routine, without a mistake. I can all I learned before five, six years old. But unfortunately, I never learned scripture. I never read the Bible. I never heard the word. I never learned it. I wish... I wish, I mean, wishes don't matter anymore, okay? But I'm telling you, this, you young kids, endure this discipline, hardship. Memorize scripture. Don't worry about it. Memorize. That's one thing I learned in the army. Soldiers used to come. Because in the army, there's some things. One thing about the army is discipline. If you are in a church in the army and the CEO, the commanding officer happens to be a, a believer, and the rest of officers who are unbe- nominal believers, CEO says, all come to church, all come. <laughs> Wonderful thing. All come. Nobody says anything. You can't say he's your commanding officer. All come to church, all come. Okay, they sit there, they all sit. They won't even sleep, they all nod, they're all disciplined. They sit there, they do, they listen, 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 listen. One year later, one and a half years later, they got saved. They got saved. And I remember, still remember one of the colonels coming and said, Pastor James, I never knew salvation was so profitable. My alcohol bill is zero. My cigarette bill is zero. And he said, you know, all these weeks what you taught makes sense now. Makes sense now. You see, you're not a new creation, but you are learning new things. When you become a new creation, those new things will make sense. So memorize now. You have to endure this discipline of so many. We are not getting into all the parts of discipline. But learn. You are young. This is the time. Because time is going to be get more and more difficult. I'm telling you, it's going to get. Nothing is going to stop history moving in the way God has already prophesied. You can do whatever. Okay, we saw last night, this morning, whatever happened in New York. You saw. You can have the most extreme wetting. You can be surrounded by the Atlantic and the Pacific. You cannot stop these things because these are all precursors to the Antichrist taking over because these incidents have to take place so that the governments can get more and more intrusive and watch all our movements. Antichrist is not God. He cannot watch everybody. He does not have that power. So he needs the help of human instruments and technology to monitor everybody. And this all prepared the way. After these things happen, isn't cameras all over Hyderabad? You lose something, they will look and say, okay, which auto? They will tell you just like that. Because we don't even know everybody is being observed. Everything is watched. You cannot make one single transaction using your card without them knowing where you have taken it. Everything is being monitored. And they want to take currency away. They wanted to make it everything cashless. Why? You are... They, system controls you. But they cannot push it on you. They have to say we are doing it for your good. For your good. Your safety. But to create that, they have to create something else. So it's all there. And scripture says when these things happen, the hearts of men shall fail in fear. 
And if our faith is not real, our hearts will fail. People will, people will panic. Like I said, that's why Jesus put these two symbols before in all the five gospels, four gospels, bread and water. Two symbols. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of every, this time in that mission trip I meant in all those cities and all those rural congregation, it clicked to them. I said, sab khate na roti aur pani har jage. Abhi sham ko wapas chalenge, aage kya hoga? Sab ke aage kya hoga? Roti hoga? Pani hoga. Two things before everybody, every hope in whatever form, bread and water. God says, do you know that every time you eat bread and water, I'm telling you, you are not a fleshly physical being. You are a spiritual being. You need my son. You need my spirit. Without you, you are dead. You are dead. I put this before you every day. This. I am the bread from heaven. And he talked of the Holy Spirit has water. You need these two to survive. With bread and water, you can survive anywhere. You can live. You just have need these two things. Bread and water. You can live. But you take these two components away, you will die. He says, you don't realize you're not a bodily, physical being or a spiritual being. My son is the bread and my spirit is the water. I put it before you. You need both. Without which, you will not live. You will not love. Ultimately, scripture says the entire world will be divided into two groups. Those who live by bread alone, what will they do? They will take the mark because without the mark you cannot buy bread. Cannot buy bread. Cannot buy water. And the others who knew you shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That is the purpose of the ministry of the word, to make us strong so that our eyes are open, we recognize him every day in our lives, and we, we are not, we are not shaken. God says when these things happen, don't be shaken. Lift up your heads. Lift up your heads for your redemption is near. That's what we see in the book of Acts, real practical. When these things are happening, Peter is so fast asleep, that the angel has to smack him to wake him up. Okay, And Peter, uh, Paul and Silas are having a worship service at midnight with their backs broken. And all the prisoners are listening. What's happening over here? What is happening? They think their end is near. And what are they doing? They're lifting up their head because the redemption is near. They're not moved. They're not faced. And that is what the reality of our faith is. Our reality faith. That's why we examine our faith. How real is my faith? Because you see, we in the south, we are in the south. South has been protected for a long time for much of persecution. North is going through it. I went there. North is going through it. Don't ever think that God will say, okay, only north, not south. It will come. It's already come in many parts. It's coming in. When it comes, will you stand? Will you stand? You know, I won't mention names. Three people visited my house yesterday. One of them is a believer and uh, that person's mother and brother. And the brother was saying, you know what, this this sibling of mine, she's the one who believes. One thing I understand, she's absolutely strong in her faith, in her faith, in her God. You know, in a home when we discuss, if when I, when if you were to ask me about death, I am very scared. I ask this, um, I asked my mother also, he said, if somebody comes and says, you're a Hindu, if you don't leave Hinduism, we will kill you. She'll say, I will happily leave. 
And he asked me, he said, I will also leave. But when I asked my sister, for, will you leave Christ? She said, no, I will die. I'll die. No way will I leave Christ. He said, I don't understand that. I don't understand that. Okay. This is what separates your faith. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives than unto death. They did not love their lives. Okay. We are going through terrible times in this nation. God doesn't intervene. It will only get worse and worse and worse. And God, Scripture also warns us there will be a great falling away. From what? From faith. It's not that they don't go to church. They fall away from the genuine faith which has been compromised. And God says, watch your faith, test your faith, understand how it is. And that's what he is telling Timothy. Timothy, you must end your hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you to as children what children should know. I will tell the pastors what they should know. You discipline yourself. There are certain things which you can train your body. Okay, now you are young, learn, learn to wake up early in the morning. Why? Because Jesus woke up every day early in the morning. That was his routine. Learn to memorize scripture. Learn to pray without element. That's why at 80 or 85, when the edit came from the king, nobody should pray for 30 days. Daniel couldn't stop himself from praying. <laughs> if he had stopped, his knees would have buckled automatically. Because for 75 years, he's been praying <laughs> for three times a day. It's, it's a discipline. It's a discipline. And you can train yourself, your heart, your body, your soul, your spirit, and can be done when you are young. All the great men who stood till the end, you will see, they actually, before it was written by Solomon, served their God in the days of their youth. Whether it was a Joseph, whether it was a Daniel or a David. Youth. So end your hardship. Don't choose a soft lifestyle when you are young. Don't. If your mattress is comfortable, get on the floor and sleep. I'm telling you, you won't have backache. All the young generation today, my back hurts, my neck hurts. It's your mattress. We grew up sleeping on the floor. Even now I sleep on the floor. My back doesn't hurt. Because you know what? You never know where you are going. You never know what is coming. You never know where God will send you. No, you will, scripture, God asks, I say, no, who will go? He says, I will go. But the problem is, we will say, I will go. We also choose where we want to go. God says, no. I will choose where you want. So end your hardship in these things. Okay? Learn to fast. Okay? Fasting is a very, very good discipline. Okay? Learn to fast. Learn to pray. Learn to memorize when you are young. Do all these things. You will all stand you in good stead one day. These are simple disciplines. Okay, complex ones, I'll teach the pastors, but you stick to the simple ones. Okay, simple disciplines. Okay, scripture says, no one encased in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Very simple. This is the key. Jesus enlisted you as a soldier into his army and your entire thing is to please him. You go into any regiment, in India or abroad you will go, the regiment has its own motto, it has its own flag. And their flag, they will die and fight for their flag. And the CEO is like God. 
Even if you remember when Mahatipatnam, when that flyover was being built, they had opened up the road within the army one way, they had opened it. But those days there was no helmet rule, nothing. But the CEO said nobody without helmet should be allowed. It didn't matter who it was, the Sipai would stop everybody. They said, nay, 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 he said, CEO sahab ne bola hai. Full stop. You couldn't do, it couldn't matter who you were. He wouldn't let you through. And I remember once, I was going, one fellow went past him. He blew the whistle, he didn't stop. He called and stopped him at the other end and sent him back. (laughs) Because all he wants is to please him who enlisted him. That is the whole thing. Not only we are born of the spirit, we have been enlisted, which people don't realize, we have been enlisted by him into an army. A spiritual army that's fighting powers of darkness. And our entire focus should be about how to please God. And what does scripture say? You know very well by now, Hebrews 11 verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please God. You can love God. That's one thing. But without faith you cannot please God. It's about pleasing. It's all about pleasing. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So Paul says, as soon as I enlisted, I understood who he is, Jesus of Nazareth, what shall I do? That's his first response. From that day till the end of his life, his only motive is, what do I do to please you, Lord? And he realized it's only by faith. And faith comes from hearing. And hearing from the word of God. And the major component of that is obeying what you have heard. And he says, all my life, I have been trying to please the one who enlisted me. Even to the point of his preaching. In Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10 he says, Now, do I persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? If I still please men, I would not be a born servant of Christ. He says, not even in my ministry. In my ministry, I don't try to please men. I try to please God. And if people don't like me, that's the reason. He says, my ministry is very clear. I know who called me, I know who sent me, I know who enlisted me, and my entire ministry is on the focused on not pleasing people. It's upon pleasing him. In the process, if people get pleased, good. But if you get displeased also, fine. I'm not going to change my message. That's why they were mad at him. That's why his churches left him. That's why they left him in the prison and nobody searched for him. Can you imagine? We say, go gaga ga, ga over Paul and Paul. Not in his time. Not in his time. He had more enemies than any others. Any others. There were people who loved him and people, many who hated him because this was not a man pleaser. This was a God pleaser. God pleaser. He said, I will please God. When it comes to marriage, okay, don't have a heart attack, but... 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now concerning things of which you wrote to me, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Okay? He's talking about marriage. But why? Why are you selling this? Because he's saying, you see, I'm not telling you a law, but I'm telling you what my heart is. Okay? Reason? I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. He's not telling you don't get married. He's not telling you don't get married. He says, check your heart first. Are you on, like, crazy about Jesus? Crazy about Jesus. If you're crazy about Jesus and you want to really, really serve God without getting distracted, he says, be like me. 
He says, I remain unmarried because I want to please him. Because if I get married, I know I have to please my wife. That's all the scripture. And scripture cannot be broken. He will say in the previous verses, the one who is married, the man who has to please his wife, the wife has to please the husband. He says, I want to please Christ. So, I chose to remain unmarried. You look at this man's heart. Look at this man's heart. He says, you know what, this is what I want. I don't want to be distracted by the cares of the world. The wife is there. Then the children come. Then you have wife and children. You need a house. Then you need a house. You need a car. Because, but if you are alone, Vijay and I sit and talk and we talk about nostalgically, if we were not married, what our lives would be like. <laughs> he said, Vijay, you know how easy life is. We can sleep anywhere. We will go anywhere, preach the word. Nothing would restrain us. We could live off anything. We could eat anything. doesn't bother us. But the minute you have a family, you suddenly realize, what has it cost us? It has not cost us anything, but it has actually cost us our total devotion to Christ. It costs. That's the area where it costs. That's what he's talking about. Who enlisted you into the army? ADC. And you want to please him. So in your preaching, in your life, if you're really serious about it, tell to the Lord and say, Lord, here is my life. I put it into your hands. This is what happened. And you look into the word of God, you will see the ones God has actually, actually wonderfully used in Christendom and in the Old Testament history where people like that who put their everything into his hands and says, use me. I mean, can God tell any of today's servants like Ezekiel, the woman who, your hearts, what is that desire, right? The delight of your eyes will die tomorrow. Don't grieve. Don't grieve. Go stand there, preach as usual, not nothing on your face. So he says, it's okay. It's okay. Now you go, I'm going to use it as an example. Lie down like this for these many days. <laughs> then lie down like this for, I mean, these way God pleases. Jose, you know what your wife is? Yeah. Buy her, get her again. Yes, Lord. Even their marriage is on the altar. Nothing. What you say? fine because we have enlisted in the army the only thing I want to do is so Lord please you. That's what God is talking about. And yes young people, yes you have to study, yes you are looking forward to a career put it into his hands be somebody in eternity, not on earth eternity put it into his hands that's what Jesus says, count the cost discipleship demands a price and you're willing to pay the price because you know the who is calling you. Don't be take these things lightly. If this nation is going to be won, it is not going to be won by these lukewarm Christians. It has to be won by those who are on fire for God. Two days back, another pastor called me. I said, I'm back. He said, Pastor, we went to North India. We are so excited because we saw the persecution. We are happy. We are going back again. I said, what are you going to do? You don't speak Hindi. No, we are going through every state where persecution is happening. We are going and we are praying. That's the first. He said, hallelujah. From Hyderabad. He said, go. Go. Just think about it. We, we, we don't even know these people. And we don't think these people don't exist in this city. They are simple ones. I heard the voice of God. God says, there go. My people are being persecuted. You go there and start in the gap and pray for them. And they said, we are going. Have you heard? 
Have you heard? Have you heard? That's what God is talking about. No? Endure. Endure hardship as discipline. Try to please. Please. Jesus lived a life completely to please his father. That is the key. Jesus never lived to please man. Always loved to please his father. His entire life, some total was, how do I please my father? We saw that in John chapter 8 verse 29. He says, he who sent me is with me. Father has not left me alone. For I, this is a key. Like I said, when you read every scripture, every sentence, as English teacher, I will tell you, which is the word your eyes should fall on. We are very romantic. So we will say, ah, oh, he's with me. God says, that's not the key. That's not the key. He's with you because you always do those things that please him. Did Jesus give us the same promise? I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do we experience his presence all the time? No. Why? Because we do not do those things that please him. We actually do those things that please us. And we need his power. Ask for power from him to do those things that please us. But he says no. I always do the things that please him. And therefore, I always, always have experienced his presence. Except for one moment on the cross when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You'll never see any moment in Jesus' life where he doesn't experience his father with him. Except there. And even there when his father leaves him, he leaves him for our sake. But even there by faith he says, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's like Job saying, even if you slay me, I will still trust you. Wow, right? These two people talk about the Redeemer. Look at it. That's what God is talking about. So examine our faith whether we please Christ as Christ pleased the Father. Please the Father. It's important. Remember the example that Paul gives in his other letters about an entire generation that experienced the power of God, the protection of God, the provision of God, everything. Incredible. Yet, what does scripture say? We look back because you know it very well. We look at it once again. I didn't give it to you. First Corinthians chapter 10 verses 1 to 5. Everything is there. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all, all our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. They were like Samaritans. In Samaria, when the Holy Spirit fell, it fell before they were baptized. In water. Remember? They were baptized in the Spirit before they were baptized in water. So Peter, the kosher eating Jew, was shocked and he said, now how can we stop them from getting baptized in water? These are the ones that of unbelievers coming out of Egypt. So what did God do them? First he put them through the cloud. Passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So they had our type. It's a type. Baptism in water, baptism in the spirit. Then, all ate the same spiritual food. What did they all eat? Manna. What do we all eat? The same word. There is nothing else. Everybody has only the same Bible. They all ate the same food. We all ate this, eat the same food. They all drank the same spiritual drink. What is that we all are given to drink? The spirit of God. When the Christ, the rock was hit, out came. That's what Jesus is talking about. Reverse of living water. 
Okay, so Moses had to do one thing. He had to smite the rock and the water fell. Jesus had to be smitten on the cross and after for 50 days the Holy Spirit is released. It's very simple. Okay, and the rock. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. Not pleased. And their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. That's the key. God was not pleased with that. Experiences they had. And they had experiences which we never had in our lives. Unimaginable experience. But it made no effect in their life. Their spiritual life, it had no effect. No effect at all. What does Hebrews 4.2 says? What was the reason? Hebrews 4.2, they also had the gospel preached to them as we also. So they also heard a gospel, we also heard a gospel. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith. Mixed with faith. That's why I said the key component you have to ask to examine is what? Faith. Examine. That's why God says examine your faith. Test yourself. Don't examine grace. Don't examine God's side. Grace is there. Abundant grace is there. The power of the Holy Spirit God has released. It is there for anyone. He says, boldly, confidently come to the throne of grace, receive mercy and grace for every need. So he said, don't worry. What do I have to examine? Faith. It was of no use because they did not mix it with faith. They didn't believe and they didn't obey. How do you know you have believed? That's the key. How do you know Abraham believed when he heard? How do you know? His neighbor saw him packing. And the packers and movers, our packers and movers came there. They all asked him, where are you going? He said, I don't know. But are you going? I'm going. Who told you? My God told me. I'm going. That's how they know. How we know you believe. How do you know he believed? Because you know, because God will ask you something to do. That's how your faith is proved. To the servants in the first miracle, he said, fill the jars. No questions asked. Lord, these jars are kept for washing the feet. Everybody is finished their dinner there. No new guest is coming. Why should we fill the jars? No questions asked. No questions asked. Fill. Take a cup. Lord, usually the potter is taken and poured outside. You are telling me to take it inside. No questions asked. That's why he didn't ask the disciples to do anything. But they are rookies. They would have asked him, what are you asking us to do? This is their first miracle. He's been only there for three days. After three days, is what scripture says. Three days after they started following him. They have only stayed with him one night. Can you ask those people to do unimaginable obedience? No, he said no. In the case of the Samaritan woman, when he went there, did he include them? No, he sent them all away. These guys would be stumbling blocks. They wouldn't have, um, imagine they all standing around the well and Thomas and Bartholomew have gone to buy the tiffin. This woman would never come there. So he said, send them all away. All twelve go buy food. You see how he works? How he works? That's how he works. The next man comes, he says, go. Your son is healed. He has a choice to make. Do I hang around and be very religious and go on my knees and weep? Shed tears and prayed, Lord, no Lord, you come with me, lay hands on one. He went. The son is healed. Sometimes the things which God tells us to do is very simple. But you have to obey it by faith. Very simple. Very simple. Very simple. 
That's what God is asking. Did we test our faith? Did we examine our faith? Our answers to our prayers are irrelevant. We know it very well. Psalm 106 verse 15. He's talking about these people. Same people. He gave them their request. Everything they asked, he gave. But, he sent leanness into their soul. When trials, testing came, they all fell apart. They all fell apart. So we look, the, when we examine our faith, you know how we examine our faith? I asked for this and I got this. That's not a test. That's not a real true result. The true result is, is Jesus Christ in you. They were absolutely lean in their souls. They couldn't do anything. They didn't even see the giants. They didn't even see the wall cities. They only heard the report of these. And they said, we are not going. And they said, we'll elect a new leader and go back to Egypt. We would rather to be slaves in Egypt than go there and fight in spite of God's promises. Leanness. And you look at, we are facing trials in our lives, in our nation, in our state, everywhere. You know what? People don't have the, you don't have the capacity to fight. We don't have the capacity to fight. We are struggling. We are struggling. That's why I told the young ones, discipline yourself now. Because your discipline, discipline is shown in your prayer life. Your discipline is shown in your word life. If you are disciplined in these two things, when the battles comes, you will arise. You will arise. You can, because you have disciplined yourself in that area. These things don't come automatically. These things you have, you are trained. You train your flesh to you shut up and sit down. You are not the boss. You are not the boss. You don't tell me what to do. It's the spirit who tells me what to do. You will pray. And you will pray without ceasing. Everything, everything has changed. Do we really realize? Have our eyes been opened? Eyes been opened? I'll give you one example. In Matthew chapter 5. What does it say? I like it in Hindi when I went to North India. I told him, Kaisa likha hai bhajan mein? Danya ho. And in Hindi it's very interesting. Dhan and danya is connected. Right? Dhan means money. Danya means blessed. Now you're all new believers. New believers, born again, spiritual believers. Right? What does blessing mean for you? If you are a new creation, all the old things have passed away. Are you blessed? Do you test yourself to see in this list? Am I blessed? Blessed are those? First 20, blessed are those who are poor in the spirit. I'll give you an example which I gave them there in the North India. I said, Hyderabad also. When you go around the streets at the, at the Traffic junctions, those beggars come, right? Are they ashamed? Are they persistent? They are not ashamed. They are persistent. Right? God says, why? Because they are poor. And they are hungry. They are poor. And they are hungry. There is a hole in their belly. They are poor. And they are hungry. And they don't care. They are not ashamed. They will say, Amma, Amma, Amma. They will knock on your window. Amma, Amma. God says, are you poor in the spirit? To show in your prayer life. He said, remember that widow? Persistent widow until she got justice. Are you poor in the spirit? 
It, it will show in your prayer life. Are you poor in your spirit? It will show how you devour the word of God. It will show what you really are. Look at the beggar on the street. You know it in the flesh. Is he poor? Yes. How do you know? Because he's persistent in his begging. Are you persistent before God in prayer and in the word? You look at Jesus. Was he poor in the spirit? Yes. What the scripture says, morning by morning you awakened me and you gave me the tongue of the instructor. He gave me first ears to listen, a tongue of the instructor. I did not turn like one rebellious. He devoured the word. And what does scripture say? Every place it is written. Early in the morning when it is still dark, he arose and he went to a solitary place after a full day and night's ministry and he's crying out to his father. Why? He's poor in the spirit. He's poor in the spirit. He prays, cries out. Scripture says in Hebrews with loud wailings and cries, he used to cry out to his father. He prays and he devours the word. Though he's the word. Prays and Apostles get it after Pentecost. You know, in Acts chapter 6, when there is an issue, they said, no, we will not leave the ministry of prayer and the ministry of word. Why? Because we are poor in the spirit. Poor in the spirit. God says, blessed, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Have we started seeing things? Have our eyes opened? When he broke the bread, did our eyes open? Did we start seeing what blessing is different now? How do we see blessing? Are we seeing it differently now? Are we seeing? I told you, ten are there in the Sermon on the Mount. Right? And then Matthew eleven six. Another blessing. You look at the blessings as they opposed to the old covenant which was all physical because they were being promised a physical land. We are not being promised a physical land. We are being promised a spiritual kingdom more than a life that is of Jesus. Blessed is the one who is not offended because of me. Are you offended because of the word? If you are not, God says you are blessed. I can take any correction. God says, wow, he's blessed. Do you consider yourself blessed? Look at Matthew 24, verse 46. Another blessing. Blessed is a servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. When is rapture? I don't know. When he comes, what are you doing? Doing what I'm supposed to do. Studying or preaching. He says, you're blessed. You are blessed. You are blessed. Yes, you are blessed. Not lying in the hammock and waiting for him to come. No. Blessed. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find him so doing. He's blessed. We'll go through these blessings next Wednesday, God willing, if he tarries to come. Then to those who understand what is blessing, in Matthew 25, verse 34, what will he say in the end? Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come you, blessed of my father. Aja. Come, come, come. You, blessed of my father. Come. Read scripture differently. See the kingdom of God, because most people are miserable. Christians are miserable. The worldly people are not miserable. They are not miserable. They don't have no insight in the kingdom of God. So they are not miserable. Okay, that's why Jesus told the loudest, either be hot or be cold. Don't be lukewarm. You'll be miserable. Miserable because 
we look at the kingdom of God and all these blessings with eyes of flesh. Paul says, I don't want to know even Jesus according to the flesh. I don't want. Meaning, Paul was a kind of a person, if you are asked, Paul, do you want Jesus in the flesh beside you or do you want him to know in the spirit? He will say in the spirit. I don't want to know him in the flesh. I want to know him in the spirit. Like most of us would say, oh my gosh, if Jesus let us come back 2000 years back the way he was and he was with me and I wish I could walk with him and he would teach me. Paul said, no, I don't want that. All romantic. No. I want to know him in the spirit because what am I? I'm a spiritual being. Amen? Okay, we'll continue. Now we will pray. And I shall release you to go back home safely. Shall we pray? Father, this evening we just come to you. I just thank you for your children. Thank you for bringing them, Lord. Thank you for bringing each one of them. And I pray the word they have been hearing and they are listening. And I pray their obedience will grow. And one day, you will touch these young ones. You will touch these lives. And you will raise up true committed servants from among them. Who will say, like Apostle Paul said, You enlisted me, Lord. All I want to is please you with my life. I put my life into your hands. Bless me and use me, Lord, for thy kingdom. You brought us safely into your house. Now as we leave, I pray your presence will be here with every one of them and you will reach each one of us home safely, Lord. Thank you. Thank you once again, Father. We surrender ourselves into their hands. We are yours. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen.